Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. With a new year comes tons of new big games in sports. With big games, you need big stakes. Kansas City Stakes has the cuts you crave to celebrate the playoffs and the big game. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day and save up to $25 on combos perfect for game day. Plus, get free shipping with code BLEAVE. That's capital B-L-E-A-V at checkout. Try out the Snack Pack Combo featuring small packs with big flavor. Mini Beef Wellington, Steak Burger Sliders, Mac and Cheese Melts, Shrimp Wrapped in Bacon, Every order is flash frozen, delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Basically every cut of steak imaginable, plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. Again, go to KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V at checkout for free shipping. Kansas City Steaks, big games, big taste. Support for the ISO is brought to you by Manscaped. Yep, that's right, Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Well, brought my wife in on this read because it's a little awkward. (laughs) Thank you for that one, Dan. I actually think that this is something people probably have issues with and aren't exactly sure where to turn. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released a new and improved lawnmower 3.0. Now you might think, is this something I need? Have I ever had an incident when I probably could have used a Manscaped? Dan, I don't necessarily know that this is something you've ever had an issue with, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Well, here you go, folks. Right now, get 20% off and free shipping with the code ISO20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code ISO20. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. (laughs) Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school, trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Today's episode of the ISO for SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dan Dickow, bringing you conversations with experts in the field of sports, if you're a constant listener, you know there's a lot of Northwest focus in many of our guests today's. He doesn't live in the Northwest anymore, lives just outside Pittsburgh, excuse me, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. in the financial services sector. 
a legend from inner city Seattle, a guy who could score the ball better than anyone. He owned the big school scoring record for a number of years until Isaiah Brown at Lakeside broke it. Michael Johnson, the pride of Ballard High School. Mike, it's been a while, bud. How is life for you? Things are great, man. It's uh, <clears throat> it's great to see you again. I think it's been, it's gotta be 10, 15 years, I think, since we've seen each other. Um, things are great. Family's doing great. We moved out to the East Coast about six months ago for, for work and life's good. Um, I'd love to say that it was inner city. I think Ballard's a little more uh, suburban, so I'll, but I'll take the inner city. That sounds better. <laughs> Well, but you're in the Metro League and anybody that follows high school basketball, whether, you know, you're regional like the, the Pacific Northwest or national, you know about the Metro League in Seattle. You got Rainier Beach, you got Garfield, you got Franklin, who's had a number of NBA players that have, have been through that program. That was pretty darn impressive what you did back in high school, starting off as a freshman, averaging over 20 points a game for four consecutive years. What was it like? playing in that league and starting for four years? You know, the Metro League um, is, is certainly one of the toughest conferences in the state. Uh, we had some great players there. Uh, when I first came into the to the league, it was um, guys like Lavelle Brown at Garfield, uh, Javon Green, whose son Dominic Green played at University of Washington a few years ago. But it was Garfield, O'Day, Rainier Beach. I mean, it was tough basketball. And, you know, Ballard had, um, had always had good teams. They were always right kind of in the mix in the middle, but never really could get over the top. And I grew up in Ballard. And so there was really no players moving around at that time. You're going to go to the school where you grew up in. And I got to know the coach early on and the juniors and seniors there. And they were just great, great teammates, great leaders but they needed some scoring is what they needed. And, um, you know, I, I had grown really fast in middle school. Like I was the same height, you know, I am now. I was 6'4 as an eighth grader. It was really skinny, probably like 130 pounds, but I was tall and, you know, could, could move okay. But it just, it fit perfect. You know, I was, I came into high school with enough size and skill and the team needed, needed me to put up numbers. And um, it really worked out well, you know, because, you know, you could go to schools where they frown upon freshmen, you know, or had a harder time with upperclassmen. Yep. That wasn't the case at Ballard. Well, you mentioned scoring, and that's something that, you know, when I was growing up down south in Vancouver, uh, just outside Portland, you know, you start hearing in high school about scores in the Seattle area, different players across the state. And obviously I knew you as a scorer before we ever got to, to meet each other or play in open gym and pickup settings. But you mentioned nowadays, if you get a reputation, you might not go to your community or your local neighborhood school. You did. And now you, as a parent, someone who's older and sees it from today's perspective, what's your thought on high schools recruiting other players? Because you see transfers left and right at the high school level. You know, I think it's an unfortunate part of the game now. Um, and, and there could be some valid reasons to transfer, maybe for academics or family reasons, or things just are not working out, you know, athletically as well. Um, but I think it's happening too often and it's um, causing, I think, problems with continuity with schools. And it must be really challenging for the high school coaches to deal with that as well. And it never really 
you know, I never really considered it. Uh, I think people around were talking about it when I was growing up, but I never considered this idea of leaving Ballard and going somewhere else. Um, so, you know, I'd, I'd love to see that slow down, maybe go back to when you and I were playing again, but it seems to be part of the game now. Yeah, it is part of the game. It's unfortunate because I grew up, as mentioned, down down south at, at Prairie, and there was that continuity of wanting to play for that high school coach. You're wanting to play with your buddies that you grew up playing YMCA and, and different things with. Because a lot of times these AAU teams start kind of forging relationships and trying to push players to certain high schools. Now, you didn't play AAU for a Seattle or a Washington-based program. You played for uh, a team that was out of area. What was that decision like? Because uh, back then, there weren't a lot of options. And so with your name recognition and your ability uh, to be recruited at a high level already, you probably wanted to look for, for other options. What was that kind of learning process curve like for you? Yeah. Um, well, so I grew up playing um, with a group out of Seattle, up, actually up in Shoreline Edmonds. And you probably know some of the guys, Mike Nielsen, some of the guys from that, that area. And that was a real fun group to, to play with. And I learned a lot because I played a few years up growing up with them. And then when I hit high school, Ed Peppel, uh, he ran his program here, did a great job. And I got connected with him early. But then going into my junior, senior year, um, I started getting some um, conversation with folks down in Utah because um, my my family's background of being Mormon, um, this idea that I might go to BYU and they had a few players, uh, Chris Burgess, who ended up going to Duke. I think maybe you played with them maybe in the NBA. I can't remember. Yeah, that was yeah we were teammates at uh, Nike All-American camp. I got to know him and your name came up many times that week. He's now a tremendous coach at BYU as an assistant. He will be a head coach soon at the college level. He was so mature, uh, not just physically, but he was like a man back then too. Um, Eric Chenoweth, who went to Kansas, he was part of that group. And so I think some of it was, like you're talking about high school, getting select teams together about what high school you're going to. That was a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe these guys are all going to go to BYU together. Um, and, you know, it, it almost happened. It didn't. And, you know, Chris went to Duke and Kansas meet Washington, but that was part of the process of trying to figure out what's out there and where the options are. So you had some options. And if I remember correctly, you mentioned BYU. You were also looking at Washington state and UW uh, over the last, since we went to UW, it's been kind of almost like a fence around Seattle with they, they pinpoint a guy that they really go after them. Uh, they wanted you. Um, you had decisions to make. What was the final determining factor for you to go to the University of Washington? You know, um, the, the coaching staff was probably number one. You know, um, stay in touch with with Coach Giacoletti. Um, he was the main assistant. I think he recruited you as well, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. He was just a great guy. He, he grew up about a mile from our house in Ballard. Um, you know, he was jokes around. He probably wasn't supposed to be doing it, but he would take his evening jogs around my neighborhood. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, yeah, as the coaches and Coach Bender, you know, I've, you know, I enjoyed playing for Coach Bender. He was tough, but um, great guy, you know, very motivating. Um, so it was the coaching staff. And, you know, at that time, 
you know, I don't follow the Pac-10 or Pac-12 now as much probably as you do. I still try to watch the Huskies play, which they're having a, a, a tough go this year. Um, but the Pac-10 was so tough back then. And, you know, maybe it still is. I just know when, you know, when we were growing up and playing, it was, I felt, one of the premier conferences in, in the country. And so to be able to play, you know, in the Pac-10 at a local school was really all I needed to, to, to hear. Yeah. Well, I would agree with you. When we were growing up, the, the Pac-10 at the time was if you had aspirations and goals to, to play at the next level in the NBA, all you had to look at was the rosters of other schools and realize how good those guards were. You had yeah. coming out either at our, our time or slightly before you had Brevin Knight, Damon Stoudemire, you had Baron Davis, you had uh, Jason Terry, who was another Seattle guy. I mean, the list of, of good guards in that league was was off the charts. And so you wanted to challenge yourself. And that's at least how I looked at it. You get to, you get to UW as a freshman, we're teammates. There's always that kind of transition period. You go from a tremendous high school player where the ball's in your hand at all times now to learning the college game and being coached in a different way and, and blending in with new teammates that are also very good. How was that for you? And what would your, advice be for young players that are moving up a level to kind of have a smooth transition? You know, I think um, you're right. It's, it's a completely different game. I mean, it's hard to explain to people. I mean, most people that, you know, I converse with on a day-to-day -day basis maybe played high school ball at their height, you know, at the, at the height. So to try to explain that transition is pretty hard to do, you know, unless you or someone like we played with have, has played at that, that level. It's, it's like night and day going from a high school to a Pac-10 level school. Um, so I'd say, you know, you have to go into it recognizing that it's going to be, you're basically kind of starting from scratch all over again. You know, you have your base, you have your skill, you're bringing your confidence with you. But whatever you did in high school or didn't do in high school, you know, it's, it, you're starting over more or less, right? You're learning a new system, new teammates, new conference. And so I think the best, you know, thing that I settled into probably more towards the end of freshman year and going into our sophomore year was that, you know, whatever I accomplished in high school, I just need to take those strengths with me, but apply those now and not have, you know, these expectations of I need to do this like I did three or four years ago, because it's a whole new, it's a whole new conference, a whole new uh, level that you have to now adjust to. So I'd say stay confident in your abilities, but also recognize you're going to have to adjust because it's not, it's not the same. And I'm sure playing in the pros, right. In the NBA is, I got to imagine it's the same, the same jump. Yeah. Um, you know, so, in, you know, like when I went down to Brazil too, after UW, it was kind of the same thing, you know, you're Angie's list is now Angie and caring for your home just got easier. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or a dream remodel, Angie makes it easy to see reviews, compare quotes, and connect with top local pros who can get the job done right. Plus, you can see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. No phone tag, just the work you need done at a time that works for you. Angie's got your to-do list covered from start to finish. Book your next home project today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You're going now to a different, a different league, and now you have to adjust again. So I think basketball is a constant adjustment where you have your game and your skills, but you have to keep finding where you fit in into these new environments. I would agree. Yeah, you always have to kind of adjust as, as you move up levels. 
uh, in the game of basketball, just as it is with, you know, any, any business endeavor you take, there's adjustments you got to make and, and you have to kind of learn from prior experiences. UW, our freshman year, we make a run, we make the NCAA tournament, and there's one play that is constantly a reminder. It's etched into my memory as one of the most frustrating losses I've ever been a part of. We, we make the Sweet 16 after winning two games uh, in Washington, D.C. We go to Greensboro, North Carolina. We play a Rip Hamilton-led UConn Huskies team, and they win at the buzzer. Walk us through maybe that final stretch for you uh, watching that and, and what your memories are like in your experiences to this day when you watch that game. You know, the whole thing, um, I mean, it was quite an experience. You know, we're talking about the transitions from high school to college. I mean, for us to be freshmen, to also be in the Sweet 16, you know, as good as I thought, you know, University of Washington, the program was moving at that point. I didn't expect us to be that far in the tournament which was phenomenal. It was, it's an unbelievable uh, feeling. I'd say that last game, you know, it was definitely a little bit surreal and it was moving in slow motion towards the end. And the fact that we were hanging with them and then getting ahead of them, I think a lot of people were surprised. And I think I was too, to a degree, because UConn was a very good team. But we had a tough team that year too. Todd was tremendous on the interior. Uh, Donald was great score. You know, we had guys like you, me and Thalo coming in and helping out. Um, when we took the lead there and that last play went up and, you know, I just remember why, <laughs> sitting there watching it going, how many times are they going to keep getting the ball back? Um, you know, it was, you know, one missed shots went to two missed shots and I think it went to three or four and I just remember kept like looking at the clock going, is this going to, when is this going to stop? You know, it just never ended. And of course, on the very last time he got the ball, it went in and that, that was it. And it was just like, it went from a real surreal moment to almost shock within a second, you know? Yeah. I really like the way you describe it um, because everybody's, experience and memories towards a big play like that is different. And when I watch that highlight that it gets played every March, um, it brings back a lot of those thoughts. Um, so I like the way you described that. You're a guy who you mentioned after your career at University of Washington, you ended up playing professionally overseas for a couple of years and it being a transition. I played in, in Europe on two occasions. Do you have any stories that just make you shake your head because when I've told stories of things that have happened to myself and my family, they just, people don't believe it unless you've lived it such as we have playing overseas. Yeah. Um, so one of the stories um, I'd say when I first got down into Brazil was, you know, there was not really, it was a not a real contract that was signed. And I'm not sure at that time, you know, the agent I was working with kind of what the deal was, but, you know, I was happy with the group that I, I joined and actually the, the coach of that team was the starting shooting guard from the 1988 Brazilian team that beat the U S with Oscar Schmidt and those guys. And he was the second link scorer of that team. So that was pretty cool having a, a big score down there be your coach. But I remember um, the very first game I took a shot ball was rolling around the rim and some guy goes up and just kind of swats it out of the rim. And I was like, you know, going like this. And they're like, no, there's no goaltending down here. And I was like, you know, what, where, where am I? <laughs> you know? 
I was like, oh man, hopefully I still got some hops and I can go up and knock a few shots out. But so there was that. And then the first month I didn't get my check for the first payment. And I was driving home with the owner one time and I was kind of nervous to ask him. I was like, so, you know, do we get paid down here? And he just like brought out a big wad of like cash and gave it to me. So that was, uh, that was interesting, right? Like, you know, didn't realize I was going to get paid that way or I had to ask for it, but <laughs> that's how, that's how that went down the first month. Um, and then I remember a time we played down in, in Brazil, we, we took a trip, you know, it was pretty far away and it was kind of in a real, real remote area. We were warming up and I was looking down on the other side of the court and I kept looking at this guy going, man, he looks familiar, but it's like, there's no way. It's like, that looks like Jamie Booker from UW. And, and sure enough, I, I got closer and I was like, Jamie, you know, <laughs> he was like, Hey, what's up, Mike? And I was like, what are you, what are you doing down here? You know? Yeah. So he, so I ran into an old UW, you know, guy down there too, randomly. That's, that's an awesome story. And Jamie Booker was a, a great player at UW. I had a similar one in, in Italy, the stor- short stretch that I played uh, in Italy. We had a random game uh, two hours from, from where our team was based and in walks, Aaron Miles from Portland. He played at Kansas and, and yep. he's a guy that I had always worked out with the summer, in the summers and, and against in Portland Pro-Am Summer Leagues. And it's like, I just saw you a month ago in Portland. I had no idea you were going to play on that team. You had no idea I was going to be on this team. Uh, it's funny how basketball kind of uh, the, the, the world is shrunk when you play the game of basketball at a high level and you get to, to know people across the world because of the game. You are someone, after you got done playing, um, you moved back to Seattle, you got in the financial services sector, but you also gave back to the game and and worked with kids. You had a program for a number of years. One of the players that you worked with quite a bit is now one of the best players in college basketball, Corey Kispert. Can you share with, with us a little bit about him as a youngster and then the trajectory of his career? Because it's been really fun to watch as somebody like myself around the Gonzaga program. Yeah, certainly. Um, <clears throat> I got um, connected with a group. So my my daughters, when they first got into school, went to a school, Kings, up in, up in Shoreline. And so I got connected with some families up there, and there was a, a very good group of, of young players that were playing, and they were tremendous kids. Um, a few of them went and played beyond high school, no abundance, went and played Division three, and they had some other really good athletes. And then there was um, one of the kids – I remember when the dads came up to me and said, Hey, we got a younger brother that's two years younger. And I think I, I started working with them when they were in sixth grade. So the younger brother was in fourth grade and he showed up and I just, within like two minutes, I thought, well, you know, he's probably the best player right now. And he, and he had this uncanny shot. I mean, you, you know, you, you talk about players that work tirelessly on, on this, on their shooting form. You know, I know I did just constantly shooting and shooting and shooting and, and he did too, but he he showed up almost with like a Ray Allen type form right off the bat, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. It was unbelievable. And that was Corey. Um, and he just, he continued to work and work and to see his progression um, and just what a great kid too and great family. So um, it was just phenomenal to be, to be a part of, you know, his development and then to see him have success in high school and then go to Gonzaga, which I thought was just, the perfect, you know, opportunity for him and to see him take advantage of it is, uh, is just tremendous. Um, I, I don't think I've seen a, a college shooter 
you know, shoot the ball quite like him. It's been a while. Maybe, maybe you, your senior year, right? I don't know. Um, but it's been a while. Yeah, he's he's putting together a, a heck of a senior year. He, he's definitely in conversation for All-American, possibly player of the year uh, in the country, which is awesome to see a, a Northwest guy being talked about in such a way. Last question, Mike, before I let you go. With the career that you had, and you were at University of Washington, you went to a couple different NCAA tournaments, um, do you have any regrets in your basketball career? Because – when you have 15, 20 years later to look at it, uh, many times people will say, I wish I would have shot the ball more. I wish I would have been, uh, you know, went to a different school. I wish I would have done this or that. But when I look at my career, I really don't have any regrets. And I don't think you do either. But looking back at it, you can always kind of have a, a different vision of it. What, is there any regrets that you have or, or was or are the memories what you were hoping they would have been? Yeah. Um... I, mean, I think one to start off with, you know, high school, it, it couldn't have gone any, any better. Right. I mean, like, like you were mentioning, you know, with players transferring and going to different schools, if I'd gone to, uh, you know, no day or beach or Garfield, I probably wouldn't have even been on varsity until sophomore year, let alone scoring 20 points a game as a freshman. Right. So high school, it, it went about as perfect or, or as you can, as it could have gone. Um, University of Washington, you know, I think I, my experience was a lot like many players um, that play in college, you know, some ups, some, some downs, um, you know, to play in two tournaments. Uh, my first years was tremendous. You know, our junior and se- my junior and senior year, you know, we, we struggled. Um, we, I think we finished eighth and ninth in the pack 10 those years. And, and, and those were challenges and, you know, at the time, you know, all you're trying to do is just play hard as you can, right? And so, like you're mentioning later on, after you get done, you can you start reflecting on it a little bit more. And, you know, with the information I had, you know, back then and with where I wanted to be, you know, I probably wouldn't have done anything different as far as the school. I mean, I have, you know, of course, you think back, well, you know, you see a guy like a Jim Fredette at BYU and what he accomplished. You think, oh, okay, what, you know, what could have been if I'd gone to a BYU type school, right? But, I, you know, playing in the Pac-10 and being a starter and a captain and being part of good teams was, you know, more than I, th- I thought growing up would be. Um, so I wouldn't say there's any, you know, regrets from the decision. It would have been nicer to have had, I think, a little bit more of a full cupboard with our last two years teams and, and being able to get some more victories because a losing season is not a fun thing to be, to be a part of. Um, you know, our our last year, and I was uh, talking to Grant Leap about this, my last year, you know, we hit a, a losing streak and it was me, Thalo Green, and a few others that you, you probably remember. And we kind of, you know, had a tough go and we all kind of sucked it up and we, we ended up beating UCLA our, our last game. Um, and, and and that was rewarding for us, um, even though it had nothing to do with going to the tournaments or progressing beyond that, but it was good that we kept, you know, fighting and we stayed with the program and, you know, then Lorenzo Romar was able to turn it around a few years later, but, you know, the Pac-10 is tough. And if you don't have the talent top to bottom, it can be a tough go, you know? So I think those are things you don't know going into it, you know? Yeah. Well, Mike, I appreciate the the time, uh, the reflection of some of the memories 
from your time at UW, as well as experiences growing up playing in, in, in the Seattle Metro League at Ballard High School. You mentioned when we first got on, it's been 10, 15 years since we've seen each other. Uh, we'll have to do this again some point, maybe not recording a podcast on Zoom, but seeing each other face to face, because it's funny how basketball and sports bring people together and creates friendships that last a long time. So, Mike, I appreciate you joining. Best of luck with uh, 2021, because we all want to erase 2020, that's for sure. Definitely. It's great to see you, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.